Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the roles that God has established for a husband and a wife in a marriage. Now, to understand those roles well, I want to spend this entire morning talking about submission. Having a firm grasp on how the scriptures define and understand submission, I think, is a prerequisite to honoring Christ in our marriage, and really, in all of our lives. But followers of Jesus, I think, oftentimes don't understand submission. And then therefore, they don't properly incorporate it into their lives. We certainly see this within marriage. And let me give you a few examples of that. Husbands get submission wrong when they think it means that they can demand anything they want from their wives. Or when they think that their wives are sinning by not, you know, doing whatever they would wish them to do. Husbands get submission wrong when they think submission doesn't apply to them. Or when they feel some sense of superiority because God's word instructs wives to be submissive to their husbands. And wives get submission wrong when they think it means that they can't have their own thoughts and opinions in a marriage. When they think it means that they should tolerate an abusive situation. Wives get submission wrong when they when they think they can't be vocal or passionate about important family matters, but also when they think it's maybe old-fashioned or just optional. And so I am ready and eager, my dear brothers and sisters, to put to death and to bury ideas and practices that are ungodly or unbiblical associated with submission. They've been around for too long, and they've wreaked too much havoc in our marriages. I'm, I'm eager to share these things with you young people out there. Those of you who are maybe teenagers, maybe just out of high school. You know, when I was a teenager, nobody told me. Nobody told me what submission meant. Nobody ever, never, no, nobody ever told me that submission was something for every Christian, men or women. And so when I went to this large, nuanced, carefully crafted book that talks about the roles between husbands and wives, talks about submission, nobody corrected me. When I totally took God's word the wrong way, and I want you young people to have a better start than me. Now, before we get into our main passage today and establish what biblical submission truly is and what it looks like, I want to say this first because I think it goes straight to what we often get so wrong about submission. So here here is what I first want to say. Submission is for everyone. If you are a follower of Jesus... You are called to live a life of submission. If you are a man or a woman, if you are uh, young or old, if you're a, a prestigious person or an everyman, if you're a person with great responsibilities or not, every person who calls Jesus Lord is called to live a life of submission 
in a wide array of relationships. I want to show you that here briefly from the scriptures. For example, God tells us to submit to our governing authorities that he has established. That's in Romans chapter 13. So think about your local governing officials, your state, your federal governing officials. God says explicitly in Romans chapter 13, you submit to their authority. The scriptures tell followers of Jesus to submit to their church leaders. In Hebrews chapter 13, he says it's for your good. It's for your benefit. God tells us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, brothers and sisters within the the family of God. We are to submit to one another. That's Ephesians chapter 5. And then in addition to Ephesians chapter 5 and then chapter 6, we see these, these family relationships that we're supposed to be in in a relationship of submission to. There, there's a way that husbands and wives submit to one another. There's a kind of submission that parents and children practice with one another. There's also a kind of submission that you even see within a, an employer and employee relationship in Christ. So there's all kinds of ways in which followers of Jesus are to be people who live in submission. Too often in And for too long, too many churches have applied submission to only one set of people, married women, or in some cases, all women even. And you have to ignore a lot of Bible to think that submission is only for married women. And so if I could even maybe give a word of correction and challenge maybe to my my good brothers out there, of course, always in love and for your good, If you are somewhat concerned or disappointed, frustrated by what you might call your wife's reluctance to be submissive, maybe you should look in the mirror. Maybe ask yourself, well, do I practice submission? Maybe your wife doesn't submit because she hasn't been given a very good example of what submission looks like. Maybe you haven't helped your wife see what a godly person does and how a godly person submits because your failure to submit, your unwillingness to submit, the way God has commanded you to do it. There's all kinds of ways and all kinds of relationships that every one of us, men and women alike, as I've just said, are called to live a life of submission. And my dear brothers, maybe you're refusing to live a life of submission according to God's word, and because of that, you're giving a bad example to your wife. It's not just a command for her. It's a command for you. And I mean this with all sincerity. What a difference it would make, my good brothers, to our wives, if we were the first to live a life of submission. If we were the first to not demand our own way, if we were the first to lay down our lives, I think it would make a very significant impact. So what is it that we're talking about here? What is submission? Grab a Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter two. 
Turn to Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seats near you. While the word submission is not used in the passage we're about to, to read, it is a very good picture of submission. Think more critically, my good brothers and sisters. Be more discerning than merely looking for key words, phrases when you read your Bible. Use your mind and think hard. And put the pieces together as God intends them to be. Let me tell you what we're about to read. Paul is teaching the church in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, how they should relate to one another. They are to consider each other's interests more significant than their own, Paul says. They are to put away their selfish desires so that they can serve their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that starts with a certain mindset, Paul says. It takes the mind of Christ. And get this, Paul says, you already have it if you are in Christ. You already have that mindset. When you have been made new by God, when we are born again by the Spirit of Almighty God, when we hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, where our sins are forgiven and we become a part of the family of God and our eternity is secured in him, at that moment, we have the mind of Christ. God's supernatural work changes us on the inside. His Spirit comes and lives and dwells inside of us and we have the mind of Christ. Now, we still need the Scriptures We still need the scriptures to guide our thinking, to to inform our thinking. But with this mind, we can start thinking the, the, the way God would have us think. And so that what we're about to read, Paul is saying, you gotta have that kind of mind to live a life like like I'm like I'm charging you to with one another. And that mind is yours in Christ. And let me tell you what Christ is like. Let me tell you about the attitude that he has. And that's what we're about to read starting in verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2. So I'll read, you follow along. He says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The first thing that jumps out to me when I'm reading this passage and thinking about the example of Christ and how to apply that to our understanding of submission is this issue of equality. When we talk about submission in a marriage, particularly when we read God's words about wives submitting to their husbands, something inside of us, I think, wants to jump up and say, well, that's not fair. That's not equal. But is that what submission means? 
Does submission mean not equal? If a, if a person submits, is that some admission that he or she is not equal? Paul says there in verse 6, look at it with me, though he was in the form of God, we're talking about Jesus here, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, let me establish a a theological foundation here. The, The one true God of the universe, there's just one. I know that's tempting not to say such things in our day and age. There's just one God. And this one God is the one who saves. This one God is the one who secures our forgiveness of sins and our eternity with him forever. This one God exists as this dynamic, mysterious, infinite relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but the church fathers would talk about this one God existing as the as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three faces, if you will. You can always you can never fully grasp the the, the complexity of God. But we have this clearly revealed in Scripture that there's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Different roles, different functions, but equal. Equal in every way. The Father is not better than the Son. The Spirit doesn't have a leg up on the Father. They are equal and they are one. But then we have this example of Jesus that though he was God and is God himself, equal with the Father, equal with the Spirit in every way, he is God. It says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't count his position, his status as something to hold on to, something to demand. He laid it down. And so when I, when I bring these incredible truths to bear on submission, we see that submission never implies inferiority. It never suggests deficiency. Submission has nothing to do with one person being better than another. It's completely unrelated to differences of ability or gifts. And so when a husband, a human being created in the image of God submits himself for the good of his wife, another person created in the image of God. It's an act within a relationship between two people of of equality, of equal worth. They're both loved, they're both valued, they both have human dignity by virtue of their humanity. And the reason I think this is so important to established is because submission has been used to support or maybe even bolster this idea that one person is better than another. Friends, submission has nothing to say about such things. But it's also true, though, friends, that you will not live the life of submission that God calls every single one of us to if you try to hold on to or grasp this equality. 
you're constantly looking to establish yourself, or if you're constantly looking to put yourself at the front of the line with everybody else, per se, well, chances are you're not going to be very interested in living a life of submission where you lower yourself. Look at the example of Jesus. Rather than holding on to his position of power and glory, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But look at verse 7. What did he do? He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When you look at Jesus' example and examine these words, emptied himself, became a servant. If you jump down to verse 8, it says he humbled himself. These are absolutely essential attitudes and actions in submission. And so if you're not willing to humble yourself, if you're unwilling to be a servant, if you're unwilling to let go of status, position, you will never live a life of submission. And if you're not willing to submit, you're not willing to obey God. And if you're not willing to obey God, well, then you don't know him. And the Spirit of God does not live inside of you. I think it's also important to consider and notice that Jesus did this willingly or voluntarily. The Father didn't make Jesus become a servant. It wasn't this unloving demand on him. Jesus freely gave himself. He he became a servant for the glorious purposes of saving the world, for the glory of his Father. And I want to suggest to you that's very important for you to keep that in mind when you think about submission in your own life. That it's something you have to willingly do. It's a voluntary thing. Don't think optional. Like, well, I can, I can obey it if I want to or I, or I don't have to. It's not optional in that way, but it's voluntary in that you can't make another person submit. You can't force it upon another person. And the reason why I bring this up is because, again, and I'm hopeful not, not here within our family, but I just want to make sure it's clear. That's why ugly demands and manipulative attempts of forcing others to be submissive are completely useless, and in fact, they are wrong. They're wrong to do. And usually this happens in the, the power dynamics within a relationship, and most often, I think, it, with, with uh, husbands demanding submission of, upon their wives. And that is, that is flat out wrong. Attempting to make someone submit by force, it's called abuse. Submission is always something someone freely does. And if it's not free, it's not submission. So I just want to encourage you, again, whatever, whatever the context of your relationship is, if you're discouraged by the lack of submission somewhere, maybe, maybe some of you parents out there, you're discouraged by the lack of submission within your children. And yeah, sometimes you just got to pick them up and move them. I get that. But does that accomplish what you're hoping for in your kids? Nope, it doesn't. And so what do you do? You just get on your knees and say, God, please, Will you change the inside of my children? Will you change his heart? Will you change her, her soul? Will you break her will? 
so that she sees that it's right and good for them to live in submission to mom and dad. But you can't make it happen. You can't change that heart by your own force and willpower. It's the same thing in other relationships too. If you're in a marriage and you're, again, you're like, man, I just... I feel like my wife isn't very submissive or I feel like my husband, he doesn't submit to my needs and my desires. You can't force it and your attempt to force it is wrong. It's wrong. Finally, pay special attention to this idea of becoming a servant. At the heart of submission is being a servant. Jesus has some important things to say, of course, about being a servant. Servants don't demand their own way. They don't look to be first. They sacrifice their desires for others. They sacrifice their good for the good of others. I couldn't help but think of John chapter 13 when I was preparing for this sermon as I came to this point. We're going to be gathering around the Lord's table soon. Do you remember John chapter 13? Jesus is in, is in the upper room celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And then he, what does he do? He takes off his outer garments, finds a basin of water kneels down and starts washing his disciples' feet. He's the master. He's the rabbi. But he's the one who serves. He lowered himself to serve others. It's how our great Savior and Lord is. He's the conquering king who won the world by serving. So with all of this in mind and with Jesus as Our prime example. Here's kind of a working definition I have of submission. Here it is. Even though equal in dignity, submission is voluntarily lowering oneself to serve another and or to respect another's authority to see the purposes of God achieved. So get get that, you know, equal in dignity. Two people both created in the image of God or whatever relationship dynamic there. Submission is this voluntary. You're voluntarily lowering yourself for two purposes. They could both be working at the same time or maybe one is only working. The goal is to serve another. You're serving another. So mom and dad, when you submit to your kids, you're submitting to their good. You're submitting yourself to serve them and for their good. But there's also this, in some relationships, there's this idea of respecting another's authority. So, for example, in Romans chapter 13, when we, when we submit to the governing authorities, it's because God has entrusted to the governing authorities, he's entrusted to them certain responsibilities, and we are to, we are to respect what God's trying to accomplish through their exercise of service, and we submit to their authority. God has purposes in mind, He has given them responsibilities. And so submission is sometimes submitting to another's authority. And of course, it's all to see the purposes of God achieved. And I'll draw out some of these, again, these uh, distinctions next Sunday, in particular when we talk about husbands and wives. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to show you why this is so important for all of us to know But obviously with husbands and wives in mind particularly. So grab your Bible again. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I want to show you something from the the text, from the scriptures here. Ephesians 5. 
I'm going I'm to walk you through an argument, the structure of an argument that Paul is making in Ephesians chapter 5. It's not so much we're going to be studying particular verses. I want to show you an entire section and see if you can, can understand with me why this is so important. We, we read the big idea that Paul has in mind in verse 15. Look at verse 15. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Look carefully then how you walk. Walking in the New Testament is kind of this metaphor of living the Christian life. You see it a lot actually in the New Testament. Paul's letters, walk, you know, your your walk with the Lord. It's just a, it's a metaphor for how you live your Christian life. Look, look carefully how you live your life in Christ. Be thoughtful, be mindful of how you how you walk your Christian life out in your life every day. Says, be wise in it, not unwise. And then what he does now is he explains how you can live your life wisely or how you can walk the Christian life out well. He starts by saying, you're not going to live very wisely, being intoxicated by alcohol all the time. And that's obvious. We see that right there in verse 18. Instead of being filled with wine, Paul says, be filled by the Spirit. That's how you'll walk well. That's again in verse 18. Well, how is that going to happen? How are you going to walk filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, you walk in the Spirit by finding ways to get encouraged by the words of Christ. And you get that through instructive songs. You get that through addressing and encouraging one another. Again, the use of songs is prevalent here, so that should be a, a clue that there's somehow, you know, songs are a way in which we are encouraged with the words of Christ. And I think of just what we were doing earlier today in our own music. I'm hoping that you saw really clearly, like, wow, these songs that we were singing are saturated with with scriptural um, intuitions and themes and metaphors because we're trying to encourage our walk well. You're going to walk well and live well with gratitude. Verse 20. And then look at verse 21. Walking well includes submitting yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. So I want you to notice a couple things here. Submitting to one another is part of what a life looks like when you're walking well. When you look at verse 15, look carefully how you walk. When you're walking carefully, you are living a life submitting to one another. Okay? So there is a way that we are to submit to one another within the body of Christ. There's a way you submit to me. There's a way that I submit to you. This is something we practice with one another. Not just certain people at certain times and the rest of us don't have to worry about it. Nope. We all do it. Now, the second thing I want to draw your attention to is why do we submit to one another? Look at verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Our worship of Jesus motivates motivates our submission to one another. I don't submit to others because they're deserving it of it so much. I don't submit myself to others because they're better than me or that I because I revere them as some super spiritual person. No, I submit 
to others and others submit to me within the context of the Christian community because we all are crazy about Jesus. We're thrilled about him. We want to worship him. That's why we do it. That's our motivation. And I hope that helps some of you, even right now, as you think, man, Brian's telling me to live a life of submission to the, like, you kidding me? I'm not doing it, saying that for, of you because they're so deserving of it. I'm saying Jesus is deserving of your worship and adoration. And so go live the life that God has called you because he is deserving. Now, here's what I want you to notice. Look what Paul does next. Paul highlights now three relationships. The marital relationship, the parent-child relationship, and then also then the servant-master relationship. Or maybe we might say in modern times, the employer-employee relationship. And I've preached on that before. If you're interested in learning, like, Brian, I need more convincing of what, what that means. Come and talk to me. I'd be happy to help. But do you know what he's doing by bringing up these relationships? He's highlighting three relationships that most of us experience at some time in our lives and what it means to submit to one another in them. That's what he's doing. Here's how a husband and a wife submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's how parents and children submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul even cares about the the labor relationship. Every Every relationship a follower of Jesus Christ has is going to be impacted. And so he's giving us instruction on these important relationships. And next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to examine specifically how husbands submit to wives and how wives submit to husbands. Now, here's what I'd like to ask you as we close. Hey, what did you learn today? You know, what did you learn today? What did God say to you today through his word that made you say, wow, I, I, need to, I need to rethink some things about this. Or that changes some things for me. I'd love to know, so don't be bashful telling me. But, but more importantly, find people to talk to yourself. Like, you know, talk about this as a family. Talk about this with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. When you go home today, when you're having lunch, ask each other what God used to challenge some thinking or behavior. Or next time when you're with your friends, strike up a conversation about this topic. I want to challenge you brothers out there. Show some initiative. Talk about what you've learned today. Maybe start with a confession. I was really convicted by. Or I think God wants me to change in this way. Use today's message as an occasion to start changing the culture in your family to one where we we talk about the things of God. We talk about what we learn from his word. We question ourselves, our faith, our actions in light of scripture so we can keep on being changed by the mercy of God. That'd be my encouragement to you.